So turn with me to Acts chapter 15 as we commence from verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on the way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared that all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnants of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who call by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from all that has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is ready every Sabbath in the synagogues. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood 
and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of God. Uh, Heavenly Father, show us your word today and help us to enjoy it uh, with all its richness. And Lord, help our lives to be transformed and changed by it. Amen. Okay, so, launching straight into the story of Acts 15. Look at verse 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea uh, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, This brought Paul and Barnabas into great and massive disagreement with them, uh, and and they did not hold back in debating with them. Uh, now, over the years, my mates and I uh, have had some real, real stupid and real inconsequential debates over the years, like, um, is a hot dog a sandwich? Or uh, does a straw have one hole or two holes? Uh, or how many, if you could dig a hole under, under Uluru, how many guys would it take to leg press Uluru? That, that's some of the stupid debates that we've had over the years. Uh, but the, that's not the debate that Paul and Barnabas were having. It's more along the scale of the debate and courtroom case to abolish slavery. That's the type of debate they were having. That's the significance of it. It wasn't some friendly dinner table discussion. I imagine people yelling at the top of their lungs. You know, Barnabas pounding his fist on the table, Paul stamping his feet and yelling at these other guys. You guys don't get it. You know, he's got so much tension and stress in his head. You see his face turning red. You see his veins just exploding at how angry he is. Uh, It's a quarrel that leaves you sick in the stomach. There was no small dissension or debate with them. This was a quarrel where tensions ran high. What's got these people riled up so much? What's the topic of this debate? Well, the issue on the table is that these Jewish teachers were teaching that the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are basically anyone who isn't a Jew, these Jewish teachers were teaching that these non-Jews needed to be circumcised and come under Jewish law in order to be saved. Uh, when I first read that, I sort of empathized with these Jewish teachers, thinking, you know, if I was circumcised as a kid, and then there's this new group of people that get to worship the same God as me and get to join my religion without having to do that, I'd be pretty bad. Uh, but I, I think the real issue is something much, much bigger than that. How are Gentiles saved? That's the topic of the debate. How are you and how, how am I saved? How is everyone, how is anyone going to be saved, be God's people, and receive eternal life? 
Can you see why this is such a big thing to get right? See, what these (laughs) Jewish teachers are saying is effectively, you need to become a Jew to be saved. You need to become like us. I mean, okay, yes, you get saved by Jesus, but it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus Judaism. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus works, uh, these extra works of the law. And you can see why this is such a major roadblock to the big mission, the big goal in the book of Acts is to have the gospel not just stay in Jerusalem, but go out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This big issue really strikes at the heart of the Christian gospel. Uh, And it's at this claim that Paul and Barnabas go to extreme lengths to debate and convince the Jewish party um, of this. Because the stakes of getting this right are so high. The stakes of getting this right is the difference between seeing your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors receive true uh, and everlasting life with with the one true God or seeing them be set up on a one-way track to eternal destruction. See, at this point in time, uh, I would say Paul and Barnabas are having a really successful mission trip. Uh, Just compare it to us. I mean, recently we've been starting the Life Course, and that's been great. People have been coming along. We've got about 60 people each week coming to hear about Jesus, and that's fantastic. But Paul and Barnabas, they were preaching in such a way that in Acts 13, you see the whole city coming to hear them preach about Jesus. And we, they see thousands and thousands of people come to believe in Him. Uh, what about us? It's taken us maybe, what, five or six years to get this church plant in the centenary suburbs going. But Paul and Barnabas are planting churches left, right, and center They're breaking the gospel into new grounds when it's never been before. And yet, they stop all that. They stop all the good work they're doing to travel all the way down to Jerusalem. You see that they travel from Antioch up there all the way down to Jerusalem because they realize that this issue is big enough uh, to get right. This is so important for them to get right. So Paul and Barnabas, they pack up their bags, they go to Jerusalem, and in verses 3 and 4, they share all the stories about Gentiles being converted in the different cities that they travel through, and those stories bring people great joy. But then they rock up to Jerusalem, and in verse 5, uh-oh, here comes trouble. The second group of Jews rise up, and they say the exact same thing that the party before was saying. That the Gentiles uh, who put their faith in Jesus must also become like Jews to be saved. That's their claim. So, in verse 6, the council of apostles and elders uh, put their heads together to discuss this matter. They spend time thinking, praying, discussing, and in verse 7, much debating. This council right here, this Jerusalem council, is a real key moment in church history. Uh, This is a climax point 
in our sermon series in the book of Acts. This debate, how will this debate go? Uh, we're getting into the thick of the action. It's the second point in your bulletins now. Uh, the Jewish party have launched their attack. Uh, they've stirred the council at this point. But coming up is the hardest-hitting team of people that you could put together at this point in time. This, this right here, this is the all-star team. Who we got? Uh, if I can be an announcer for a second, we've got the man on which the church was built. We've got Peter The Rock Johnson. Uh, we've got one of the greatest duos of all time, like uh, P&B, like Peanut and Butter. We've got Paul and Barnabas. And last but not least, NBA all-time leading scorer, LeBron James. Uh, well, actually, not, not LeBron James, but just as important, James, it's, it's just James. James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the early church at this point in time. Um, but this council meeting is this star-studded group of apostles that give their verdict on this big issue. Uh, and the point of all this name-dropping is so that y- you and I and everyone can know that what they rule on this topic is final. It's definite. So, first in the lineup, Peter steps up to the plate and addresses the Jew. Um, see if you can notice just how active uh, God is that he, he's conveying uh, to the Jews. Read with me from verse 7. Uh, Brothers, you know that in the early days... God made a choice among you that by my blood, mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Uh, and God, who knows the heart, He bore witness to them. He gave them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He's made no distinction between us and them, because He's clean, cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter's point here is, God clearly has a plan to include the Gentiles in salvation. God was working in the early days uh, when Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius, resulting in him and his family uh, being saved in Acts chapter 10, even though, they were, uh, even though he was a Gentile centurion. Uh, we, we heard that only five chapters ago in the book of Acts, but that was around 14 years prior to this event. Uh, And then back to it in verse 8, God who knows the heart shows, or he bears witness that he accepted the Jews by giving them his Holy Spirit. Everyone saw it, and it's just like, uh, just, he gave the Gentiles his Holy Spirit just like he did to the Jews, meaning that there's no distinction between us and them, between Jews and Gentiles, because the Gentiles were purified and saved, and how? How are they saved? At the verse, end of verse 9, because God saved, because God's cleansed their hearts by faith. When they put their faith, when they put their trust, when they believe in Jesus, that's the moment that they were saved. They didn't need any Jewish ritual, they didn't need circumcision, they didn't need to follow the law in order for God to save them. God chose them to be saved purely 
through their faith in Jesus. Now, part two of Peter's argument is even stronger than that. Uh, You see, circumcision and the law never helped the Jews or their Jewish fathers in the first place. Instead, it put a yoke, it put a crushing burden on their backs. So why make the Gentiles carry that same burden if that burden isn't going to save them? It's not just the Gentiles, but even the Jews themselves, they're not saved by obeying the law or being good. But they are saved by, uh, in verse 11, they're saved, they're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. They're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. So all in all, here's the principle that from Peter's argument. God has definitely chosen the Gentiles, to be His people, not by works or things that they do. It's completely by grace, through faith in His Son, Jesus. They're saved by grace through faith. Then after Peter speaks uh, in verse 12, the whole assembly which had been debating and disputing, all silent. A big hush over the crowd. Uh, the opposing party is looking at each other and pretty much going, uh-uh, I ain't following that. There's no way I can counter that. They've got no rebuttal. But Paul and Barnabas, bold as they were, uh, continue on in verse 12, they told the council all the signs and wonders that God had been working in the Gentiles, uh, which we saw last week in, in Ben's sermon. Uh, but but Paul and Barnabas' argument is, is, is clear. God is clearly saying that the Gentiles are included in His people and that He's clearly at work in saving the Gentiles. And He's doing that without any need for them to be circumcised or do any work. And then after they finish speaking, uh, James gets up. James gets up and uh, the gist of what he says is, uh, can confirm can confirm what Simeon Peter has said, uh, and actually, not just me, uh, the Old Testaments confirm what Peter is saying. Uh, he quotes from the prophet Amos, from Amos chapter 9, which prophesied that one day God would rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, which means God will restore fallen Israel and the people of Israel. But so that, so that, he does that so that the Gentiles can come in and be part of God's people. James is saying, God has always promised to bring the Gentiles in. It's happening right now. We need to embrace it. Uh, Therefore, with all those reasons in mind, James, the leader of the church, uh, hands down his verdict. If this was a courtroom... Uh, and it was a legal case, um, he would be banging his gavel. He'd be uh, to signal that this is the end. This is the final judgment. Uh, He gives his ruling here in verse 19 to 20, and then he just goes and repeats the whole thing again in verses 22 to 29, where they they write a letter saying pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, Here... Here's what the final result is. It's got two parts. Firstly, 
lay no further burden on the Gentiles. He says this in verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Don't trouble the Gentiles. They don't need to become Jews. They don't need to come under the law of Moses to be saved. God's kingdom is for Jews and Gentiles, for anyone who turns to King Jesus. There is no burden to coming to Jesus, receiving the free gift of God and being saved. That is amazing news. Praise God for that. That's part one of the verdict. Lay no further burden on the Gentiles. But part two, uh, lay no further burden on the Gentiles other than to limit your freedom in order to love your brothers. James gives this little list of Jewish things that he calls uh, the Gentiles not to do or to abstain from. Uh, Look at either verse uh, 20 or 29. He says, we should write to them to abstain from foods that have been sacrificed to idols uh, or with blood or that's been strangled and from sexual immorality. I mean, uh, that's a little strange, right? He just, he's spent all this time saying uh, that there's nothing that you need to do to be saved other than have faith in Jesus. But then you've got this part, and you think, uh, is, this, is this fine print? Uh, is this like, a, is this like uh, when you've agreed to the terms and additions of uh, joining the Apple store, but you haven't realized that within the fine print you've sold your soul over the Apple? Um, no. Uh, He's not adding these things and saying that you need to do these things, oh, you you need to not do these things in order to be saved. Uh, Rather, you can just tell by hearing his tone in verse 19 where he says, uh, abstain from this and that, and if you keep yourselves from these things, uh, you will do well. Farewell. Um, It's more of a recommendation if you avoid these things, uh, you'll do well. In other words, uh, it'll be good for you. It'll be good for others. The reason they'll be well if they do this is because, you know, for the very first time, you've got Jews and non-Jews coming together as one big family. They're coming, but they're coming together from two radically different cultures. Think for a moment how the different cultures would be clashing here. Uh, The Gentiles have grown up in a society where they think there's many gods, there's many idols, and they go to the temples, and they they go to the temples, and they sacrifice all kinds of different animals in all kinds of weird and wacky ways. And then they'd eat the meat of these idols, and it's part and parcel um, of this this pagan temple worship that, you know, there's sexual immorality. You you go and sleep with the, the temple prostitute. That's the Gentile culture that they're coming from. Uh, But the Jews have a whole history of of those pagan temple practices being absolutely abhorrent to them. Uh, Those Gentile pagan temple practices, uh, if I could use some Gen Z lingo here, those practices uh, give the Jews the ick. It's yucky. Uh, It's disgusting to them uh, because Jews have grown up um, thinking that those practices and worshipping at those temples uh, makes you unclean. So they never hang out with the Gentiles because they were unclean. 
See, there's no way that the Jews and Gentiles were going to be able to come together without some serious compromise within their own cultures, without some serious kinds of restrictions on their own freedom. That's why the Gentiles were being called to abstain, for the sake of unity and community and fellowship and love in this baby early church. And they actually rejoice at that because uh, there's a way for these people that were once separated, they have a chance to come together as one family. So that's the verdict. Uh, We'll put a pin in those and we'll we'll circle back to how we apply them later. Uh, But now James has finished his verdict. He's written this letter to go to the Gentiles. Uh, And after that, that letter is assembled, pretty much they assemble the most wholesome group of men that they could find to deliver the good news to the church in Antioch. In verse 31, the church reads out the letter and they rejoice at the great encouragement. They're over the moon at how good this letter is. At this, how good this letter is. And this part of the story reaches its, its happy ending as the apostles stick around, encouraging them and teaching them and strengthening them and preaching the word of the Lord to them. Because this issue was sorted, they could have this happy ending. Uh, so let me finish with, uh, how do we apply this, this passage today? Application one, everyone listen up. Uh, You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Uh, (laughs) Uh, That's a joke. (laughs) Uh, The real application is you are saved, not by circumcision, but by grace through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Uh, I want to apply that first. If you're someone here that's exploring Christianity or not yet a Christian, I want to make the good news of Christianity crystal clear to you. How do you become a Christian? Here's what I want you to remember. It's by grace through faith. Uh, grace, Grace means it's a gift that you don't deserve. But God is giving it to you anyway. And not because you're lovely, but because God loves you. Grace lifts all your burdens off. I don't know what burdens you're coming with. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a burden of the past. You know what that is? It's the burden of guilt and regrets. Things that you know that you've done wrong. Maybe it's the burdens of the future. You know what that is? That's the burden that you're not going to live up to standards. Maybe you're feeling crushed by the burden of traditional culture. It's the crushing burden of parental expectations. Maybe it's the burden of Western culture where, where you need to create your life's meaning and purpose and significance. So you throw yourself at that year after year, but it doesn't stick. It doesn't satisfy. Grace throws 
all of those burdens off. You realize that you aren't good enough for God. But he chose to love you anyway. Not because of you, but because of him. Grace means you don't have to live up to your parents' expectations or your own expectations or the expectations of your culture or society or some other religion that's putting rules on you. You don't need to prove yourself anymore. That's what grace means. But how do you receive this awesome, free gift of grace from God? This grace, the passage says you receive it by faith. Through a simple but genuine trust and belief of what Jesus has done for you on the cross that he died in your place for your sins so that you could be forgiven, restored, and saved. The good news of Christianity is really that simple. Here's the invitation that Christianity holds out. It says, says, come. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you no matter what you've done no matter what you what you haven't done come as you are put your trust in Jesus have your sins forgiven and be saved if you're sitting there and thinking that you haven't done that yet why don't you you can be saved by God's grace today if you choose to have faith, if you choose to trust in Jesus. What's stopping you? My encouragement to you is to, is to have faith in Jesus and receive the grace that He gives today. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you, if, if you want to do that, uh, please talk to a Christian friend uh, Come find me after the service or even just go to God yourself in prayer and ask Him to, to help you have faith, to help you believe and receive this good gift of salvation that He holds out to you. It's for the non-Christian. Uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian um, in here today, keep, my application to you is keep rejoicing in this simple truth that's at the absolute heart of Christianity. Rejoice because you've been saved by grace through faith. Uh, just personally speaking, one of the ways that I'm applying is that this is, is when I wake up in the mornings. Uh, I, I'm a pretty stressed out guy. You can check my, hairs for white, my head for white hairs to, as fruit. But when I wake up in the mornings, I'm stressed a first thought goes to, goes to prayer, and it, it goes something like this. It goes like, please, please, God, help me to do my work today. Uh, please help me to live for you, God. Uh, please, God, help me to, uh, you know, be free from sin and fight sin. You know, those are good things, but that's not where we should start. I don't know if you have those thoughts uh, sometimes as well, but instead of starting with please, Because of this passage, my prayers have transformed to starting with thank you. Thank you, God, that you've saved me 
by grace through faith. It is so amazing that you chose to love me and save me. That is immensely freeing. That truth is, is an indescribable joy, I'd say. Being saved by grace through faith is at the very heart of Christianity. So I just, I just want to ask you guys, how are, it might not look like me, but how are you guys living out this truth? If it's at the center of Christianity, how, how is this truth impacting your life? Uh, and I think a necessary implication of that is application number two, don't lay burdens to receiving the gospel. The problem that the Jewish party had in Acts 15 is that you become a Christian by Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the law of Moses. Uh, Is there any way that we're doing that in 2023? Because it's a temptation that's always been there. And and here's what happens. Uh, You get saved and we, we pursue... Uh, the Christian life with zeal, uh, we pursue all sorts of good and helpful things, uh, like things like baptism. Uh, we love doing baptisms here. We love praying and singing and being in community. Uh, we love pursuing godly lives together and turning from our sin and having our morals and ethics transformed by God's Word. Those are great things to be involved in. But here's the thing. We need to be very careful that the good things that we have don't become necessary requirements for people to be saved. Uh, it sounds like this. Uh, you know, to be a Christian, you've got to be baptized at this church, or you've got to be baptized in this way in order to be saved. Uh, to be a Christian, you've got to be able to follow all the Ten Commandments before you can be saved. Or to be a Christian, you've got to speak in tongues because that's a sign that you've got the Holy Spirit. Or... You know, to become a Christian, you've got to clean yourself up, uh, to rid yourself of your life of sex, partying, drugs, alcohol, all sorts of those things. No, no, no. Um, I really mourn for my friend who was exploring Christianity. He came to church, but then he left it. He never wanted to come back because that was his life. He was into that sort of life of partying, sex, drugs, all that thing. And the message that he got about Christianity was clean yourself up, change those behaviors before you can come here. Friends, don't lay those burdens on people. Don't get in their way of salvation like that. And not only for them, but the the moment you make the requirements of salvation to be Jesus plus, you actually subtract from the gospel. When you make salvation Jesus plus, you subtract from the gospel. You lose the beauty of the gospel. Your focus is taken away from the sufficiency of Jesus' work on the cross, and instead you put it onto someone's work or their performance or their effort. Salvation is Jesus plus a big fat zero. Jesus plus nothing. So lay no burdens on people to receiving this free gift of salvation that God's holding out to them.
And lastly, I'll be short on this one. Uh, we know that the gospel brings about these amazing freedoms of throwing off burdens. Uh, yet at the same time, it also gives the ability to uh, give up your freedom for the sake of others. You remember James's recommendation to the Gentiles uh, to abstain from this and that, not because it saved them, but for the sake of fellowship with and evangelism to the Jews. I don't know if you realize it, but everyone has a culture. Uh, we at SLE have a very pronounced culture. Look around. You can make your own judgments on what that is if, if you want. But there's those among us, those that will come in and join us, that will have that very culture as something of a blocking point to being in community together and receiving the gospel. Just a really tiny example of this is, you know, you might have grown up uh, in an Asian culture where you've come home and you've always taken your shoes off before you come in. Because uh, you don't want to track that, those germs and dirt and poop into the house. Uh, but then, you know, you've got someone from an Aussie culture uh, who's always grown up with coming into their houses with their shoes on. Um, with the gospel bringing us together, maybe the solution looks like being flexible to giving up your freedom. Maybe you think about, oh, I, I'm okay with someone coming in with shoes on or shoes off. Friends, if we're all saved by grace through faith, that means my culture isn't better than yours. I'm going to give up my freedom. I'm going to go against my culture for the sake of loving you. Okay, to finish. Well done. Uh, I don't think I saw anyone asleep. So good on you for doing that. Uh, but I want you guys to walk away with three things. Number one, salvation is by grace through faith. And I think that leads to the next two things. You don't lay on any burdens and you give up freedom in love. Friends, I don't know your exact situation, but I think it's vital that you actually spend some time thinking about this and discussing uh, with the people around you and with your community the real and tangible change that you want to see in yourself and in your community around you. Pray with me that we'll actually see those three things in action. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that salvation is by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus. There is nothing that we've done to deserve this, yet you bestow on us every spiritual blessing. You forgive our sins. You cleanse our hearts. You carry our burdens. You give us life, and you give us life to the full. You call our names. You've written our names in, in heaven. You transform us by giving us your Holy Spirit. You are so amazing for doing that. We give you all honor and glory and praise. Lord, keep us from laying on any burdens to people, receiving your good news, and help us to give up our own freedoms in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.